Hello. You might remember a few months ago, Pastor Ben um, came up on stage and he brought with him a watermelon. I can't remember what he was talking about, but I was just thinking about eating that watermelon the whole sermon. So I thought I'll bring some of my own props over here and we're going to attempt to move the uh, mic between my face and this stand over here as we go. So should be interesting. Um, let's just, I know there's a lot of praying, but I never cease talking, oh, sorry, I never get tired of talking to God, so let's do that as we start this morning. Father, I want to thank you for your beautiful presence here. God, I thank you that you would take time out of your schedule. Lord, you're always with us, you've given us your Holy Spirit, but you're here today. And I just pray that you would minister to us. Lord, use the scripture. Use your Holy Spirit to illuminate, Lord, that our lives can be directed and focused on you more. Amen. Recently, um, me and my family were blessed to attend the Hope Point Leadership Retreat. And throughout that week, we were challenged by Pastor Ben and Pastor Rach about the exciting vision that God has for this church. If you're not excited about what God is going to do in this place, let me tell you, hold on to your heart because he has got big plans. He's got big plans for this place. And so that was a real privilege to hear. It was a real privilege to spend time in community. We had a couple of fun events as well and build relationship. But one of the key highlights of the, um, of the whole retreat were that there were challenges every morning. And these challenges were high stakes, let me tell you, because if you lost the challenge in your team, what you had to do was cook for all the other teams. Now, I like to think of myself as a pretty competitive sort of person. I'd like to think that people would like to have me as part of their team. But for some reason, my team lost three out of the four challenges. Now, usually that would be okay. You know, I could live with that. But something really strange happened because every morning we'd be in a different team. And it just so happened that my team kept losing. Now, I can't point my finger on exactly why that is. It remains a mystery. But in any case, one morning, um, one of these challenges related to the material I have here. And apologies, Pastor Ben, for stealing your thunder. But we had a corkboard, some matches, we had some tacks, and we had a match. That's not a match, this is a candle. A candle. And so what we had to do was actually attach the candle to the corkboard without burning the place down and light it. And so what I'm going to try and attempt is quickly show you how to do that. I did practice earlier with one hand and it didn't work. So I'm going to try and do this with two. And I'll talk Right, there we go. So... I'm sure that you can imagine there's numerous different ways that you could be doing this particular task. And so unfortunately, as I mentioned, this was one of the activities that my team lost. We thought we had a grand idea and we were working away and ours did end up working in the end, but it took us a very long time. Now the group that won, they seemed to be very uh, finished very, very quickly. And what they did was this over here. So it's a little bit wobbly, but 
as you can see, they utilised all the material available to them. And you might have come up with different ways. We were trying to use the tacks to try and attach the actual um, the candle to the corkboard, but they fought outside the box. They fought a little bit literally, and they used all the material that was available to them. And so you might think, well, what does that have to do with the sermon this morning? Just as a fun fact, Pastor Ben tells me it's only 2% of people think about using the matchbox in trying to solve the problem with this particular challenge. And so the sermon today is titled Superium Superdat Opus. In Latin terms, it's a, it's a term that the Lord highlighted to me as I was reading through the book of Genesis, and I'll explain what that means shortly. We'll just have to hang in there. You know, in recent times, the Holy Spirit has been directing me towards the book of Genesis. And you might think that is an interesting book to be reading in Christmas. Aren't we celebrating the life of Jesus? Aren't we celebrating the birth of Jesus? Wouldn't it be a good idea to reflect on those passages? But you know, the more I think about it, Jesus was there at the beginning. Not just the beginning of the Christmas story, but at the beginning of all creation. And if we look at John 1... 1 to 3, we are reminded that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. You know, this realisation blows my mind. If we consider that Yahweh, the very one who spoke all of creation into being, would humble himself to the birth in a stable, it seems such a foreign concept. You know, for some people, this is a, it's a stumbling because God's grace appears so scandalous, so undeserved that he would, would take place among us. The great I am would subject himself to the plight of man, the same struggles that we go through on a daily basis. For some people, that's just too much of a bridge too far. But for me, it was a masterstroke of redemption. See, in one act, God dealt with the problem of sin, he dealt with death, and he reconciled us to himself. Joshua spoke a couple of weeks ago about the scarlet cord. And he put it so eloquently when he talked about Scripture pointing us towards Jesus. He quoted a man by the name of William Evans, and this is what he said, Cut the Bible anywhere, and it bleeds. The blood of Jesus stains every page, be it New Testament or Old Testament. It's red with redemption blood, with redemption truth. You know, for this reason, it's, it's, it's when we read about the birth of Jesus in the book of Matthew, or if, if we're reading passages of Scripture and studying God's faithfulness to the Israelites, to his people in the book of Exodus, all of Scripture points us towards Jesus. And it's on that note, and with that attitude, I want to ask us this morning, if you've got your Bible with you, to turn to the key passage that we're going to be looking at. And it comes out of the book of Genesis, chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4. 
Now, as you turn to this passage, by way of introduction, I'll just give you a little bit of context here. And the book of Genesis is written by a man of the name of Moses. It comes in the form of the Torah, which is, it's the first book of the Bible, but the first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah. And this book gives an account of the creation story. But it also highlights God's relationship with his people. And so then let us read then in Genesis 2, verse 4 to 7. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had sent no rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Materium suprabat opas. The workmanship surpasses the material. Praise God. God is the great workman. He is the great physician. He is the ultimate craftsman and he can take the basic and the natural and turn it into the supernatural. He can take the impossible and make it the possible. That is the God who we serve. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verse 6, says this, Can I not with you, Israel, as the potter does? Can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does? Declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand. Hayden. Sean. So you are in my hand, Ben. So you are in my hand, Adrian. You know, on Tuesday and Thursday, I've actually had a pretty tough week. Um, on Tuesday and Thursday evening, I found myself in the emergency department at Kabulcha Hospital for a different boy on each occasion. On Tuesday night, um, I was in there with Ethan. On the leader's retreat, he stepped on a sea urchin and um, the spine sort of went up into his foot and he was fine initially, but they actually dug a bit deeper and they got infected and he had an infection running up into his groin, a big red line. So... We took him to the hospital and um, they were able to dig out the, the, um, the stingers and gave him some antibiotics, which was great. But then on Thursday afternoon, Matthias um, had a temperature of 41.5 degrees, so he was looking real pale, like he was about to pass out real dizzy. So I took him out to um, Kabulcha Hospital as well and, and I was sitting there in the emergency department just reflecting on the frailty of life. You know, it's so amazing that there's such a small difference between life and death and, and, and being healthy and being sick. You know, our natural body temperature is actually around 37.5. Now, I'm not a doctor or a nurse. Is that, is that about right, nurses out there? Okay, round about that. And, um, but, but when you get to, say, 42 degrees, what starts happening in your body is that your organs start shutting down. And so there's just this 5% difference between someone who is healthy and someone who is 
is, is very sick. It's really, really fine margins here. In the book of 1 Peter 1 verse 24 states it like this, For all people are like grass, and all their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. You know, this makes perfect sense to me when I think about our humble beginnings, when I think about the material that we have been created out of, dirt. It makes sense that we are a bit frail. And you know, as I study through Genesis chapter 7, I find it so fascinating that God took the earth of the soil to form our physical being. You know, the word that Paul the Apostle uses is a Greek word. It's called hoikos. Hoikos. What it means is earthy or dirty. And he uses this when Paul the Apostle is, is um, talking to the church in Corinth. He writes them a letter and he describes the condition of man. He uses this word hoikos. When he describes Adam, when he describes the first man, Paul goes on to say, the first man was of hoikos, the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47. So why is this so important? Why by laboring this fact about our humble beginnings that God would take soil and make a man out of him? Would make a woman out of basic materials? What does it matter what God used? To address this question, I'd like to reflect on a passage of scripture that Pastor Ben spoke about last week. And of course, it's a very famous one out of the book of uh, John chapter 6. And it's the miracle where Jesus feeds the multitudes. And I know we read it last week, but we're going to read it again and we're going to have a slightly different emphasis. So if you have your scriptures there with you, can you turn to John chapter 6, please? And we'll have a look from verse 3 to 9. Then Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the crowd coming towards them, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy the bread for these people to eat? He had asked this only only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Fascinating. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? You know, I won't linger the response of the disciples here. I think Pastor Ben did a really good job when he spoke about that last week. But something I want us to reflect upon here is the little boy. This young man who brought five small barley loaves and two small fish. I find it fascinating that the scripture here uses the word small. Not that what he brought was insignificant enough in the face of what he was facing. Had to chuck in the word small in there as well. Fascinating. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Materium suprabat opus. The workmanship surpasses the material. John does not inform us how this young boy came to stand before the disciples with what he carried in his hand. But what he tells us is that he came. What he tells us is that he got there somehow. And you know, if I reflect upon this from this little boy's perspective, I wonder what was going through his mind. I mean, when you think about it, this just appears so illogical. It, it appears like such a childish thing to do. Right, he could have had his lunch, but instead he, he decided he'd bring it up in, in the face of a multitude of people. And I can just imagine him climbing the hill, going up to where the disciples and Jesus were meeting and talking, and him offering, going up to one of the disciples and saying, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir, I, I heard the people are hungry. And I wonder as he turned back and looked at that mass of people, I wonder what was going through his mind. How he thought his, his five small barley loaves and his two fish would actually be used in that situation. Sir, I, I, I only have five barley loaves and, and, and I have two small fish, but sir, if, if Jesus wants to use them, he can have them. Consider the posture here. Consider how this boy presented what he had. The physical arms spread out wide. Humbly. But willingly. Hope point what God can do with the people that will come humbly and willingly. What God can do if we can but bring the things that we have in our hands before us. Little did this young man, this boy, this mere boy, realize that Jesus was about to do the impossible with his little loaves and bread that he came with willingly. You know, Pastor John Piper is one of my favourites, and I've said this many times, but he, he, he pens a story which is, which is titled Loaves and Fishes. And, and in this story, it, it's a perspective of a grandfather sharing a story with his grandchildren. And they're sitting around the fire, and, and he's sharing this story, and he's reflecting upon an experience where this grandfather encountered Jesus during this whole miracle where he feeds the multitudes. And as you could imagine, the, the grandfather is actually talking about it from the little boy's perspective. The grandfather is the little boy in this story. And so he's just witnessing this and he's sharing it to his grandkids. And so what the, the grandfather goes on to say is that after Jesus fed these multitudes of people, 5,000 men and, 
and there were women and children among that. So easy estimate would be more than 10,000 people at least. And, and so, so Jesus just fed them and, and he's going off like he wanted to to start off with. He actually left because he wanted to, to spend time recuperating and, and spend time seeking the Lord. And so he, he was off and, and, and this little boy followed him. And he was fascinated about what he saw. He was so intrigued by what Jesus was able to do with his little. And he hid behind a rock. And this is where we pick up the story just briefly. And Jesus calls out to this young boy. Did you not understand the signs? Did not 10,000 people dine today? If I can take your bread and see 10,000 people fed... If I can take a boy that's dead and lift him from his coffin bed, if I can still a storm tonight, then John, I can make all things right. You know, one of my favourite Christmas carols is actually the little drummer boy. And that might seem like a weird choice, right? Because it's not, I mean, sure, Jesus is in the picture here, but it, the focus isn't necessarily on Jesus. Why isn't it Silent Night? Why isn't it Hark the Herald Angels Sing? But I find this, there's something fascinating about this carol. You know, it was written by Catherine Kinnikoff Davis in 1941, and it was a pretty difficult time in the history of the world. We have world wars either side. And it was originally titled The, the Drummer Boy, and there's actually a, a, an element of military with, with the drummer and, and that whole role, which we won't go into today, but it might be fascinating for you to do some of your own research, if you want, about the role of the drummer and... and drums in war but we'll put that aside the reason that I love this carol is because I feel like I can resonate with this drummer boy see initially I was born to a poor South African family and I had my own significant struggles as a young man and, and some of you know my story but there's been often times in my life where I felt I have next to nothing to give I felt like I have so little to give and I think that was the plight of of the drummer boy as well you know amongst the lavish gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh what could he bring all he could bring is what he could play on his drum and so he did in the face of of a thousand people thousands of people sorry and their hunger all that the little boy from john six could bring was his lunch then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. What do you have in your hand? What is the thing that God has placed in your heart? What are the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has blessed you with, that you can bring to his throne, that you can bring to the altar, what material, what base material that you have, that you can lay down before him, that he can do the miraculous with. You know, I think it's amazing that when we step out in obedience, that God is able to take our little and do the supernatural. Her point, being engaged that God's workmanship will always supersede, will always surpass our meager sacrifice. 
He is in the business of honouring those who come humbly and willingly. Consider the poor widow with the two coppers. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 41. Or the woman with the alabaster box who just poured out everything she had on Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 6. The question is, how often have we looked and thought this situation is greater than anything else we can put into it? How often have we heard the small voice of the Holy Spirit and we thought, I would but? How often have we walked past an opportunity to see God do a miraculous work in our lives and the lives of the people around us? Because we were unwilling to bring what we had. What miracles have we gone without? What blessings have we missed out on? You know, three years ago, my wife Melinda and I were thinking about having a third child and, and we had sought the Lord for a period of time about this, but one of the things that I was struggling with is I had this, this fear because the first couple of pregnancies were, were fine, but the births were really traumatic and, and so I didn't want to have that happen again. And so I, I, I was living with, with this fear. But, you know, like all good wives, Mel encouraged me and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and they said, you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. And to be honest with you, with kids, this is one of my big weaknesses, right? I, every time I go to the hospital with my kids and Part of that is, might be my upbringing and, you know, the experience I've been through. But it, it's, it, fear really is something that I have to grapple with. And the Holy Spirit is continually working with, with me in my life about that. But let me encourage you, if you struggle with fear, to cling on to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Because God has given you the spirit to overcome fear. And so Melinda became pregnant and the pregnancy was quite normal and until little Ava decided that she wanted to come early as well, just like Matthias. And although the birth was quite stressful, God was faithful. And we got a beautiful little girl. And you know, when I look at my children, I'm just so reminded about God's awesome craftsmanship. His ability to take the basis of material and craft perfection. Not saying my kids are perfect, by the way. <laughs> you know, if ever there was a case of, of, of God's craftsmanship surpassing the material, it would be when you look at that little princess that runs around here occasionally and then look at the ugly mug of her father <laughs> and see the difference. You know, this despite <laughs> you got a pastor bandage. <laughs> See, despite the advancements in genetics, uh, stem cell research, despite science's theories of evolution and, and the origin of life, we have not been able to and we never will be able to create life out of nothing. That's not our business, right? It's God who creates life. And, and I'm sure the adults in the room, and thankfully most of the kids have left, um, are familiar or at least understand the process of reproduction, right, and what's involved in that process. But the truth of the matter is, in, in Ava's little life, I only contributed one cell. God was the one who breathed his spirit into her to make her a living being. But that's not me. 
That's God breathing into her. And that's why every life is such a miracle. And that's a topic for another sermon. Let me tie this all together as we look at the ultimate illustration of God being able to take a humble material and create something supernatural, something that can completely change the course of history itself. As I do that, I might ask Sasha and the band to come up as well. That would be fantastic. Thank you. And of course, we need to look no further than the life of Jesus to see this perfect illustration. See, Jesus was born in an earthy and dirty manger. The Lord of heaven and earth had no throne room to sit upon. He was cast among the animals and the hay and the dirt. Choikos. You know, the wound that carried him was that of a, of a normal Jewish woman. It was no princess. There were no handmaidens that were there to, to care for Jesus' needs. This is the situation that he chose to come to earth. And it blows my mind when I think about it. Jesus grew up learning the, the trade of his father, probably carpentry, playing in the dirt with his Jewish friends. So basic and earthy was Jesus' early years that the very people, the, the Pharisees who had been waiting for the Messiah their whole life missed him when, they, when he stood in front of them. You know, throughout his whole life, throughout his miracles, Jesus demonstrated that God would use the basic and the natural to do the impossible and the supernatural. You know, at the wedding, it was Jesus that took, took the water, right? He took water and turned it into wine. In, in John chapter 9, Jesus, Jesus comes to this man. He's blind. And so what does he do? He reaches down into the dirt. Choikos. Mixes it with spit. And covers the man's eyes. What happens? The supernatural invades. And the man is healed. Taking the basic. Taking the natural. Taking the little. And doing the miraculous. When a little boy came up to a disciple and said, I have but some small loaves and fish. Jesus took it and fed thousands. Where does this leave us, Hope Point? I believe that today's message is a challenge, and believe me, it challenges me down to the very core as well. What's it that we have in our hands? Am I willing to bring that little, regardless of my opinion of myself, regardless of my opinion of that which He has given me, am I willing to bring that before the throne room of heaven and say, God, do what only you can do? God, take my lunch. God, take my heart. I come willingly and humbly before your throne. Won't you use this? Won't you use me to do what you set me on this earth to do? 
Here's my lunch. Here's my prayer. Here's my finances. Here's my song. Here's my worship. Here's my family. What can you bring to honour the King? What material can you provide the Master Craftsman? And one final thought, hope point. God doesn't need a material. When he spoke the universe into being, there wasn't anything else he needed. He just spoke. And then the earth and the starry hosts appeared. But yet, you know what he chose? It was a decision for him to choose the dirt to make a man out of it. And he chooses to partner with us as we bring our little so that he can do the impossible in our lives and the lives of the people around us. I am convinced that as we do, we will see our community transform through the love and the power of Jesus. One, loaves and fishes at a time. That's all God's asking us. That's all he wants from us is is to come with what we've got. And if you're struggling with the faith to do that, just ask him. Just ask the Father. You know, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, there was this dad whose son was demon-possessed and, 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 and he comes and he says, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my disbelief. And so if you are able, I want to ask for us to, to have a response today. If you're able, can you stand for me, please? And if this message resonates with you, I'm going to ask you for a simple gesture. All I'm going to do is just ask you to change your posture slightly. If you're not standing, that's perfectly fine. You can do the sitting or kneeling as well. It's up to you. But if you want to bring what you have, what God has given you, and lay it before his altar, I'm going to ask you just to to put your hands open with your palms to the sky out in front of him. You know, the amazing thing about this is, and I've shared about it before, as we, as we come in this posture to give, it's exactly the same posture in which we receive. And so, God, we come. We say our little belongs to you. I thank you, God. That two loaves, five loaves and two fish can feed a multitude of people. How much more are you able to do with a group of people who are willing and humble? God, take our church, take our lives, it belongs to you. Thank you, God.